Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wildbo's most reflective work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. Thanks, Elliot. And yes, we are back for Deep Impact and also the fan art contest. It's going on right now. So do some yes. fan art, probably of Green Eyes, realistically. Um, submit it <laughs> and you could win an awesome prize. Yes, by the numbers, uh, probably Green Eyes. Probably Green Eyes. Anyway, shall we crack on with the episode? We're talking about Malfeasance 11.4 here, um, which picks yeah. up right from where the last chapter left off, where our good pal Alistair Baham, the new candidate for leader of the Baham family, drew his deck of cards and just started shuffling them aggressively at us. <laughs> I mean, I love Alistair already. He's great, he's, isn't he? He's so he's, smug, he's delightful. Yeah, because, like, Laird was, you know, this, this uh, like, adult smug asshole or whatever and we have duncan who we've turned into a bit of a joke as like you know confidence that he absolutely doesn't deserve whereas yep. Al- alistair's like a younger lad in a way like he's, yep. he's the uppity up and coming s- smug asshole um i, I think it- it's interestingly undermined like one of the one of the first bits in this chapter is alistair sort of talks about how oh he's not afraid that blake will try and kill him because mm. he knows that even though blake has killed before blake doesn't want to kill people yeah and uh you know sort of completely misses the fact that the person he's talking about that blake killed is like his uncle or yeah. his he, you know cousin and he uncle must or know something. that right he must know that it's laird because everyone seems uh, to know. know that now like ben and gloria found that out like i don't know he might know it by the end of the chapter or something but um i, I don't know for me this sort of sowed the seeds of doubt in how powerful you know alistair really is mm. knowing all this stuff that's and i fair. like that it's included in the start because it gives you that sense of hope that blake can push through yeah yeah fair enough um yeah this is a really fun chapter right like and the, the funnest mm. thing about it to me is alistair's power means that you can't really engage him on a level of like brawn because he he does this hmm. whole thing where he just sets up self-fulfilling prophecies so that you feel like any move that you make is playing into his trap. And so you have to kind of outthink him, which makes any fight with Alistair presumably quite a fun little logic puzzle. And I love those kinds of chapters. Yeah, it, it's a real like battle of wits is what this whole chapter feels like. Um, you know, they're, they're throwing words at each other, not... Yep. Not other things. Well, there's a sword. Except for a sword, yeah. Um, and yeah, a bird just, at one point. <laughs> yeah, man. So, sword, word. It's only one letter. Um, nice. But, That's what we call you know, wordplay here in Pact. <laughs> <laughs> You've um, impressed the spirits. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, that's the thing, right? This this fight isn't really about fighting. It's about impressing the audience. So, it's yeah. just like a bunch of grandstanding and trying to outwit the other person uh, and- uh, I don't know. It, like, it kind of feels like what I imagine a lot of other practitioner duels sort of could, could yeah. feel like. Um, you know, it's nice to see Blake have a go at one, <laughs> and he does okay. I mean, he he wins yeah. this one, right? I mean, technically it's a draw, but he, he should have won. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and I also I just really like you know this is something we sort of got to say. Alistair's explaining things as it's going, and I just love that we know he's telling the truth. Like he's sort of looking for like you know little holes in the logic or whatever to you know loopholes but yeah he speaks so definitively so much and it's just it's just nice in the book that you don't have to be like oh but what if he's lying like yeah you just just get to take him at face value when he says something definitive and it means the like everything can just move forward 
Yeah, um, it's great. And Alistair as a character only really works because practitioners can't lie. It means that yeah. when he calls some bullshit, it's not just him being cocky, it's him saying, this is the truth. This is the objective truth. Or at least I'm confident that I can convince truth. the spirits <laughs> that this is the truth. Yeah, it it is fun. Um, so they're kind mm. of locked in this weird pre-battle phase where they're kind of circling each other, trying to what, just gather enough information to be able to kind of know what they can do to take down the opponent? Yeah, exactly. The 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 battle, especially at this point, just consists of prodding and, and prying the other person for information. Um, like, you're just looking for tells and trying to... It's basically a race to find the, the crucial piece of information that will let you win the encounter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. Um, and the big play that Alistair makes here is... He kind of calls upon Rose as the threat to Blake here. Like, th- the reason that Blake can't just kill Alistair is because it won't work if he wants to maintain a long-term relationship with the people that he's trying to save. And it's a great, it's, it's a great blow to score. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking about trying to find the crucial bit of information you can use to defeat your opponent. Rose is a pretty good first hit. Uh, and I mean, I actually think this is where Alistair pretty much wins it because yeah. it's it's the exact logic Blake considers here that basically decides, uh, well, him calling the draw later on. Yeah. So uh, maybe it's not what wins it for Alistair, but it's what stops him from losing at, at very least. Yeah. I, and I wonder, like, okay, I'm going to jump ahead on this. I'm going to jump ahead on this because the thing that this made me think on my second read is how similar fighting Alistair must feel to fighting Tattletale from from Worm. <laughs> We're going to get into a bit of Worm spoilers, not too much though, where obviously, like, her whole deal is she knows enough information that even in combat situations you can't really feel sure attacking her because you th- she will just kind of know your weaknesses enough to shut you down. And I love that vibe from the other side here against Alistair. Like, it's so interesting having this situation where Blake basically is forced into thinking himself out of attacking because he just can't predict the consequences to it. It's so interesting. Um, Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I sort of got, got the Tattletale vibes from this as well. And, I, like, I think it's the way they cold read you. Like, both of them have this, uh, uh, like, style of knowing more than a normal person does, but also doubling down and, like, bluffing that they know even more yeah. than, they, than they do. Um, So they're kind of... You know, both of them are using the inf- extra information they have to double down and, and find out even more information um, yeah. and, and prod you. When they're right, like, 90% of the time, it's so easy to think that they're right 100% of the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's great. And it's such a fun conceit for a battle. Yeah, it, it really is. And so, so speaking on that, one thing I want to uh, touch on quickly now is um, how Alistair's implement is presumably this deck of cards. I mean, I th- I don't think there's much doubt about that at this point although it hasn't actually been confirmed uh and and i mean it's i think it's an interesting choice for implement um because like like i know they're not tarot cards but we just sort of had um like this whole poker match thing like two chapters ago so Mm. it's hard not to draw the connection to like games and and gambling and i mean you know the the premise the, the the very thing this chapter opens up with is is sort of evan calling out how alistair called it a bit of a game yeah so I mean, you can see why the elder Bahames would be, well, could would be like fair in being nervous about somebody who's picked an implement that has associations with like gambling and and risk taking behavior. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, and, like, his influence is so applicable to his personality as well, right? Because he <laughs> he is such a gambler. Like, uh, again, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but an, a note that we get from later on is how fragile his whole shtick really is, even more so than practitioners who are really based on appearances, or even Bahames, whose powers are completely based on kind of perception, Alistair's is like that dialed up to the max. And it feels like a house of cards, no pun intended, where it's it's really sturdy until you find that one chink in it and then it all just completely collapses, which is what happens to Alistair later, right? Um, and it's yeah. so interesting and it's so fitting for the deck of cards. I love it. Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, he has no like offensive capabilities at all like he as far as we see like he kind of completely relies on being able to win without dealing a blow yeah he pulls out this uh mechanical whatever spider thing later the tick which is a great name but it it definitely feels like he only has like two or three tricks up his sleeve either because he he never really needs them or he just doesn't think he needs them because he's so certain of his ability to win without you know without getting into the muck yeah yeah pretty much and so it leaves him quite vulnerable if if that facade uh cracks at all really. yeah or if you have an opponent who's very used to getting into the muck as uh like <laughs> clearly is um yeah um but uh, well actually so you know tying it all together i mean obviously we've just we've just talked about all this i mean I compared it. I compared this whole thing, or, or the the use of the cards as the implement to the poker game a few chapters ago. You could kind of view this entire duel as a sort of pokerish game. Like it's all they both spend basically the whole time bluffing, trying to like yeah. decide or you know figure out the other one's tells. Like it, it's all information gathering. Uh, Alistair's literally drawing cards. Like this is basically a high stakes version of Chapter One. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it totally is. Um, it's a nice kind of thematic resonance throughout this arc. I wonder, obviously the arc's not over yet. I wonder if we'll see more of it towards the end. Yeah, maybe. Um, so the fight finally starts, I guess, uh, <laughs> when Evan uh, f- basically rushes Alistair and um, does a, gets him uh, in, uh, kind of around his eye, scratches scratches him superficially mostly around his eye and Alistair can't handle this basically Alistair immediately turns back time in order to recover this small blow that Evan has landed <laughs> uh yeah and this is where you really start to feel like Blake and Evan are you know going to be able to do something here yeah uh cuz it's it's like a way excessive uh sort of way to recover it so you're immediately like okay what's going on here <laughs> um, I, I and like of course like Blake's- sorry you go I was just going to say, like, you know, Evan keeps talking about having, well, getting, like, Phoenix powers and, and, and stuff, but at the moment it seems like, you know, based on how he behaves, he's going to be developing, like, Bahame eye-gouging powers. Mm. Like, that's his, that's his shtick as, as an other, is yeah. gouging <laughs> Bahame eyes. Yeah, I mean, it suits Blake's shtick of, what, just hating all Bahames. <laughs> um, the thing I like about this is Blake's reaction to seeing this is basically, like, Okay, so Alistair is ex- using his power excessively. That's almost certainly not going to help me here, but if I fuck up here or something goes wrong, you know, I can make it so that he has an awkward conversation later, <laughs> which is such <laughs> a, like, vindictive, Blake self-sacrificing thing. Like, okay, I may die in this fight, but he'll have to have a really hard conversation afterwards. <laughs> like, it's such yeah. a weird, vindictive thing for Blake to be thinking. 
I mean, there's another moment uh, a, a bit before that we skipped over where he sort of talks about how he, he can't afford to prove Rose right. Like, he's fine with a lot of other bad things happening, but it's like, God forbid he proves Rose right that he can't be trusted because he just doesn't want her to be right about something. Yeah. Um. So it's the same sort of, like, just... He wants those petty victories as much as the real ones. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Which is, I don't know, maybe good, maybe bad. Is it a human thing to be so petty, or is it an other thing? I'm not quite sure. Uh, yeah, I have a feeling it's both. I don't Fair. know if that's, if that's something either side claims. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Blake uh, kind, of, kind of finally lands a, lands a, a, a good uh, blow on Alistair kind of emotionally here when he asks Alistair to inquire uh, about his sword, about the hyena. And Alistair draws the five of coins and it's pretty clear from the get-go that this card unnerves him. And I love how as soon as Blake realises that this has unnerved Alistair, he just goes like full-on mirror monster boogeyman. Like he's he's walking through him, teleporting around, just being fucking terrifying. Like, it was terrifying, and I'm reading it from his perspective. Mm. And I was just like, yeah, he just sort of immediately, as soon as he had the advantage, sort of stepped into exactly what the Drains wants from him. And he's kind of rewarded for it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We'll get into this in a second, but he really seems to be slipping more and more into Mirror Monster Boogeyman territory. Um, but let's talk about the five of coins first, because I think it's really interesting because Blake doesn't ever really get quite why it's unnerving to Alistair or why it's tied to the hyena. Um, and I want to talk about that for a bit. So the five of coins, uh, uh, for Alistair's deck, it's a, a beggar woman, but it, it's kind of similar for different tarot decks, obviously, where it's usually mm. beggars, people who have suffered some kind of financial hardship. And often outside kind of opulent or nice looking buildings, a lot of the ones I looked at were like, had stained glass windows, and then in front of that, in the snow, were, you know, one or two poor looking beggar folk. Um, and so the, the, the symbolicness there is, is obviously Alistair associates it with loss, but kind of financial hardship and lack of resources, especially kind of in a fall from grace context, um, uh, is okay. what seems to be implied there. Um, which I think, considering that we're talking about Alistair being the, you know, the shepherd of the Bahames' power, um, and how much they are basically just like an old money family, um, yeah. I, I can see why that would be so scary. Yeah, um, no, I mean, that'll, that'll sort of make sense to me, but, but you're right, I like how Blake sort of pieces together these, like, this basic concept of loss and adversity, but doesn't, doesn't fully understand it. And I mean, I think that's kind of the really interesting thing about Alistair's abilities here mm. is that layer of interpretation like it is a fairly you know i don't know exactly how many cards are in the deck but it's probably like what 30 to 50 yeah um, i think it isn't it 52 isn't it the same as a normal like playing game oh, is it the same i don't actually know cards? i don't know <laughs> okay. whatever um anyway like either way that there's like uh you know the cards can only tell you so much about a question you ask there's a layer of interpretation you're gonna have to put on it and um it's 78 I mean, by the way <laughs> 78 that's a fair amount but uh yeah, like you know there's there's a lot more meaning than that in in just about anything. Yeah. It's so, like I I really like that. Like you could have a a whole book from the perspective of somebody with this ability, and it would be fascinating to watch them go into encounters and get like little hints at information and have to interpret what the card is telling them. So there is that book. It's called uh, Northern Lights. 
um, well, yeah, actually, or the yeah, golden compass. <laughs> <laughs> and it, this is what that reminds me of, right? Is is this yeah, kind of like an alum, alumini? Uh, or no, it's like a lithiometer. I think a lithiometer. That's it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's very much the same thing. Where it's like you have an abstract symbol, and it could mean thirty different things, fifty different things, and the real skill is trying to interpret what this spirit or whatever is telling you. Um, I, I agree that that's such an interesting concept. Yeah, yeah, like, um, yeah, as I said, like, I, I think you could very easily create a whole story around just this single ability. It's, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, so we already talked about the tattletale thing, but this is what really started telling it to me is, is, <laughs> is all this weird information exchange. Um, and c- continuing the connection, Alistair pulls out his best friend, which is a very skitter move, a giant fucking spider to protect him. I like this because at first I was like, huh, like a spider. That's weird. I don't understand the connection to, to like time. And then mm. it keeps getting called a tick. And I remember ticks are arachnids. And I was like, oh, like, fucking these people, like the Bahames. Like, <laughs> it's such a uh, terrible uh, joke for the Bahames like, to make. Like, as far as I'm aware, and I have thought about this, I cannot think of any substantial connection between ticks and the concept of time, apart from that stupid fucking name pun, and I just, <laughs> I think that's so on point for them. Like I, I I've headcanoned that the the thing's name is is also Tok, so it's Tok. I like tick. that. That's good. Uh but yeah, I mean, this is just it. It really paints that more Duncan esque picture of the Bahames that we sort of have, where they just sort of they think they're so fucking clever having spirits pose as ticks because yeah. it sounds like the sound a clock makes. But it doesn't quite. I mean, I get it, obviously, but tick isn't spelt with a K, and so it just kind of drives me a little bit crazy. They've got this, like, a, a homonym, a homophone, sorry, pardon, that just doesn't, it's just not quite right. Anyway, um, yeah, it's terrible. This analysis brought to you from the people who do Deep Impact. <laughs> um, so, let's talk about this line. I'm going to pull it out. Um, Blake thinks... Uh, noting that he'd gained an advantage, I I somehow felt fractionally better than I had. Stronger. Had I scared Alistair just a bit, or had the hyena scared him just a bit? Enough that he'd wanted to summon something. And so the 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 read that Blake makes on this is, okay, I've I've backed Alistair into a corner enough that he has had to pull out a trick, and that kind of empowers me. But later on we see Blake is kind of feeding off of negative emotions, right? Which is, mm. I, I mean, that's an escalation into boogeyman territory, right? He's 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 actively feeding off of scaring people, theoretically. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of exactly what he's doing. And I, I mean, my understanding from his chat with um, Faisal last arc was that to a certain extent, he's going to have to do that or the mm. drains will like pull him back in. Yeah. Uh, may not have even been just the chat with Faisal. I think. So like, I think, I agree. I think this is something he has to do, and I'm not thrilled about that, but in saying that, like, if there was a time and a place, this is it. So, you know, like... Right, (laughs) of course, but, you know, the slippery slope starts with Bahames always in this book, right? (laughs) Um, First first person killed, Bahame, and I'm sure there's going to be more, right? Um, And even in this chapter, towards the end... um, Blake jumps back into Hillsglade House, and the first thing that happens is he scares Tiffany, and he doesn't (laughs) <laughs> feel rejuvenated from it. All we see is that she's spooked and she yells something and she drops her book. It's played more for comedy. Yeah, but he is scaring Tiffany and I, it's hard for me to not read that as Blake got 
some emotional, you know, vampiring from that thing, right? <laughs> a- a- like, I can kind of see it starting to go down that slope very easily. Yeah, yeah, sure. But uh, I guess I was under the impression there's not really another choice. Mm, uh, I guess. I don't know. You're f- that's right. And there's probably a ethical way to be an emotional vampire, right? But we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, at this point, uh, Rose and her allies, who have kind of been set up as the ticking clock, or not Rose, but but her minions, I guess, um, are, are <laughs> that's close. That's the word she uses. <laughs> yes, later yeah, in the that's chapter. the official <laughs> word, minions. Um, th- they've been set up as, as the clock that will end this fight, ironically. Um, Blake is on the clock for this fight, of course. And so Evan mm-hmm. kind of goes off to stall the, uh, the help as Blake kind of starts gaining more and more ground by pulling out the five of coins consistently yeah and um i mean i i do sort of really like this sense of blake is trying to push away his allies so he can win it by himself um it it sort of it it does really raise the stakes (laughs) yeah you're right that's that's a very blake move although i feel like he has a pretty good reason for it in this Um, oh yeah yeah of course can i call out my favorite line so far since the one where he yelled and prayed to the dying god in the abyss yeah Um, go for it Blake says, you have all these advantages, Alistair, but you've got one thing that's always going to hold you back, I called out. What's that? You're a fucking bame. <laughs> like, it feels so good for him to yell this at Alistair. <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah, it's it's a pretty solid, solid line, especially coming from Blake. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, and of course, Blake also pulls another trick on Alistair here where he uh, basically tells Alistair, and it's a weird thing to say, he says, hey, do you remember what, do you think I remember what happened on my 18th birthday? And Alistair kind of falls right for this obvious bait um, because he can't not look at his cards and that's his weakness, right? He's compulsively, you know, it's like playing a game with a, with a fucking strategy guide and then you get to a point and you you try not to check the guide but you just can't because you've gotten so far based on it you just can't do it without it um yeah if you're too used to a safety net it's it's hard to let it go yeah um, i mean blake does also kind of push him into it by he, he there's something blake says i can't remember the exact phrasing but he basically sort of says you know or you know are you too afraid that i, I know more about the cards than you or something yeah. so he kind of he does kind of push alistair into a corner a bit where alistair has to do it but uh it's yeah it's a good play and it you know, Alistair suffers for it. Yeah, and this double-edged, like, the double-edged nature of Alistair's cards is really on full force. Blake picks it up pretty quickly, which is quite clever mm. by him. Um, and he basically starts abusing the cards to to just make sure Alistair can't use them anymore. Yeah. So Blake uh, continues to kind of taunt Alistair with the hyena, um, and Alistair is, at this point, too scared to read the cards again because he knows that <laughs> it'll be the third... The third... Uh, Rule of threes against the Bahames, which obviously- there's a lot of there's a lot of the word three in this thing. Basically, there's all the threes are on Blake's side if if uh, Alistair surrenders or draws another card. Yeah, um, but I'm more of a twenty forty eight man myself. Anyway, Blake continues to haunt Alistair. Ooh. No, it was great. It was a great reference. <laughs> um, yeah, so so Blake is kind of waggling the the hyena at him, um, and uh, Alistair. I mean, the thing about this is, Blake can't really attack Alistair from inside the mirrors that well, so eventually Blake just throws the hyena at him, in what is a pretty good move, just throws it out of the mirror, and it almost gets him, but unfortunately Alistair is aware enough to dodge. Um, and so, uh, interestingly, I, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter, but I, I do kind of wonder whether Blake's miss was intentional, because 
Alistair sees this miss, and that's what to him is like, okay, Blake has run out of tricks. Like, I'm, I've won. Um, but of course, the best way to beat a smug bastard is to make them think that they've won. Yeah, I'm unsure. Well, the rules, don't the rules say that they can't permanently injure someone? And so there's this whole thing of whether or not the sword will meet that criteria. I, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think Blake's plan was literally just to try and keep scaring him uh, because it empowers Blake and hopefully will cause Alistair to surrender. Yeah. Um, but Alistair is too stubborn a bastard to surrender, unfortunately. Um, so, so Blake is gonna, is about to do some mirror shenanigans, but before we get to that, I want to talk about this line where Blake, and we've kind of touched on this before with Blake's sympathetic magic, but this line makes it very obvious where he says, where he thinks, I willfully relinquished my presence on this mirror realm. And that, that's like the key word to say, okay, he's pulling his sympathetic magic reflection tricks. But I think it's important to know that, like, especially considering what happened in arc eight and arc nine where mags and blake were so desperately fighting for their place in the world this trick that blake has learned requires him to relinquish his presence in the world even just for Mm -hmm. a moment right Uh, and, and that can't be a good sign can it um and the thing i really like about this as well is i kind of was thinking about this and blake blake has always assumed that rose never learned this power because she didn't experiment but I mean, Blake is obviously quite self-sacrificial. He's, he's, he's very much the kind of guy that would give up his goal of staying, of existing, of <laughs> continuing to exist in order to kind of get an edge. Whereas Rose's whole thing is she, or at least she was, fighting to exist. And so Rose would never, like, relinquish her presence on the world, even for a moment, because that's, like, toxic <laughs> to her. Whereas Blake would do that sacrifice just to get an edge in a fight. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that, but as soon as you wrote that here, I was like, oh, I, I love that explanation. I think, I think that's probably spot on. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I do, I do agree though, that there's, there's some really powerful symbolism behind Blake letting go of his presence to Mm. use this new power, especially because then the next, the next step is to literally lessen himself by uh you know yanking spirits yeah, out of his exactly sternum. it's like the most self-sacrificial power that could ever exist yeah um and i mean it 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 sort of ties back i think a bit to what Cranaus was saying last chapter uh about how like he felt like blake shouldn't exist mm. and and it's almost like you know this ties into that a little because blake gets rewarded a bit for existing less basically mm. yeah yeah, exactly, right? Um, yeah. Um, so Blake pulls his sympathetic magic trick again. Uh, he gets a reflection of the hyena, smushes a bird into it, which, that can't be good for the bird. I mean, like, getting smushed into cards, okay, I'm sure you'll be fine, spirit, but getting squished into the hyena, like, I don't know. I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. I wouldn't be impressed if I was the spirit. Yeah. Like, I assume it's not a nice place to be. I don't know if it'd be bad for it, but it'd be like, you know, that'd be like getting thrown in manure or something, presumably. You know what else this makes me think is we know that dead things can be fed power and then come back because that's basically what happened to Molly, right? The hyena's dead and Blake's just smushed some power into it. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't <laughs> want to see him continue to do this. I don't know what would happen. Um, anyway, so Blake uh, gets gets a sympathetic hyena reflection, kicks the reflection, and that causes the real hyena sword to spin right towards Alistair. And it's basically going to injure him if not kill him uh, it's definitely a winning blow until sandra comes in and just flicks it and off it goes spiraling off <laughs> to the side um 
dang, no more dead behames today, unfortunately. Yeah, you can't, you can't win them all. Yep. Um, and so as Sandra shows up, it's it, it's kind of revealed that Rose's uh, minions uh, weren't going to be the problem, but you know, as they arrived, the attention that they draw would summon Sandra, Johannes, whoever, uh, and that's what would end it. So it's not necessarily that Rose would be anti-Blake or anti-killing the Bames, but <laughs> that it would cause attention that would cause this fight to get broken up. Uh, yeah, it's it's a nice sort of little reveal. I, I, um, I don't know, I, I sort of had a different read of the situation as it was unfolding, and I assumed it was like, like, didn't want Rose's cavalry to show up because they would make him stop and, and organize some sort of truce and take his win away. Uh, and that is, you know, sort of what That happens. is exactly what happens, yeah. Um, but, you know, I do like this sort of reveal that uh, Sandra and Johannes are also kind of walking around playing peacekeepers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I, I don't quite understand... Why Sandra, Johannes, and, you know, Alistair as a representative for the Bahames, they're so, like, on the same page here. Like, I mean, those three are fighting each other for lordship, right? Like, that's an active thing that's happening. But they they seem to hate the Thorburns so much that a, a <laughs> win against Alistair is worse if it's from Blake than if it's from them, and they would actively stop it so they can take him out themselves, or... I don't know. It's It's interesting. Uh, so I think, like, Sandra sort of explains it. Mm. Uh, like, my understanding is that uh, she sort of says, like, they have to prove themselves as lords as well. Like, it's not enough to just, you know, go to town killing everyone and, like, causing natural disasters and all that, making a mess. Like, the spirits will hate you. Like, you might win the battle, but then the spirits won't really respect you. Like, and this goes right back to what Laird was saying in Arc 1 about how as chief of police he had really good standing with the spirits. Like, I think yeah. that's sort of what Sandra's talking about here is uh, her and Johanna's in particular, because I, I still, they're the main contenders, Alistair and the other Bahamas, so whatever. Yeah. Um, the but- Sandra and Johanna's are like, they're playing the peacekeeper because they need to win it the right way as well. And that's with decisive moves that don't cause collateral. That's sort of my understanding. That so that's what she's doing here is presenting uh, preventing skirmishes that don't involve her and Johannes from getting out of control. Uh yes, but if I were a Sandra or a Johannes, the way I would approach this situation and granted I probably would die is let Blake kill Alistair, then step in as the peacekeeper and in air quotes, or, you know, presented this way to the spirits, you punish Blake or you punish Rose and that takes them off the table as well. And then suddenly, okay, you've still acted as the peacekeeper, but, you know, you're down two contenders. Like, I, maybe there's a reason yeah. that that wouldn't quite work, but it feels like I don't see I why mean, they if- need to get themselves dirty here in order to, instead of just kind of acting the, the holier than now and clean up crew kind of role. I guess, like, you know, the the spirits might be clever enough to know that, you know, if you're whole, or if, even if they don't know that you're doing it on purpose, it's like, if you're not able to get there in time and prevent these sorts of things, you're probably not going to be a great lord. Mm. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, um, that's fair. But if you're, like, the whole point as a lord is to enhance the stability of the region. And if you're not capable of doing that now, you're probably mm. not going to be capable of doing it when uh, this place is so much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair, Reed. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't be a good lord. 
never mind. I'll take that <laughs> off my off my five year plan. <laughs> um, so with uh, Sandra and and uh, well, Johannes isn't here, but his presence is definitely here. Um, yeah, he sent what I'm ninety nine percent sure is a, is a gin. Yeah. Um, so with those two around, Alistair basically says to Blake, let's call it a truce. And, um, Blake kind of has to go along with this because if he doesn't, he's basically worried that Alistair will have predicted that and something worse will happen to him. So he ends up saying, all right, call it a truce, uh, and heads back to Hillsglade House where Rose invites him in as an ally. Woo! Yeah, I mean, so jumping back like a little bit, I, mm. I found his logic... Uh, oh, you know where he's where he agrees to the draw. Super fascinating because it, it it starts off with this big paragraph where Blake's sort of thinking this isn't what I want. This draw it does nothing. It doesn't help. Blah blah yeah. blah. And then he immediately finishes that thought with verbalizing, "Yep, okay, it's a draw." <laughs> and there's there's like this really sort of cognitive cognitive dissonance between what he was just thinking and what he's saying. And yeah. I mean, I I felt like there were a few moments that were sort of like that last chapter as well. And um, I mean, I, I don't know quite what to make of it. I don't know if this is, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what I'm meant to read into it yet. I guess I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on it, but it seems like there's something going on. I, I mean, something we haven't talked about yet this chapter, but that bell has been, yeah, uh, we're tolling all chapter and it always comes in at these. I like Wobber's so good at choosing the times to mention the bell again, just after like Blake will think something potentially ominous and then it's just the bell was still tolling, and it's like, oh, yeah. fuck. Uh, it's uh, interesting. I think, so obviously we're seeing this through Blake's perspective. I think the bell is kind of to him acting as a bit of like a, ch- you know, check yourself, check what you just thought, right? Like, it, because he has a few moments where he thinks to himself, oh, if I was more myself, I would have just rushed in, and the bell probably isn't helping. And, and it, it seems to me like the bell is kind of causing this instinctive reaction in him where he stops and thinks, okay, am I acting on instinct here or is this what I actually want to do? And I think that's what's happening at the end here. He thinks about it and then the bell rings and he's he kind of, I don't know, he just kind of goes with the option that he feels is safer rather than pulling a Blake and just going whatever the fuck he wants to do. Yeah, well, I mean, that's interesting because I thought, I mean, the impression I got in 10.x was that, you know, the bell was meant to be having the opposite effect. Yes. Uh, it's meant to be riling everyone up. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I still feel like there's... Oh, I, I feel like the bell's going somewhere. The way it was so constantly sort of name-dropped in the last two chapters yep. is something that's stirring shit up. I feel like there's going to be a big bell moment, and I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know I'm going to love it. Yeah, and then, we'll um, see. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what to do about the, the way Blake is sort of zigzagging around thinking about what he should do in service to Rose. It mm. feels like there's maybe something there, and I just, I, I don't quite know how to put it together yet, so I'm just going to keep an eye on it. Mm, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, Blake didn't kill or behame, unfortunately, but he did get Rose on side, which is kind of a win. I mean, I don't know, maybe mm. it was a baseline expectation of what should have happened two arcs ago, but it's <laughs> progress. Yeah, yeah, it's progress, because she's such an ass. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, even then, it's... I mean, you know, it's basically explicitly stated they're not good. No, they're uh, not it's good. Just, no. <laughs> they're just not as bad as they were. And yeah. Rose kind of invites him in, but it's this real, like, oh, I'll invite you in. I'm not going to answer any of your questions or anything. Like, it still, it still doesn't feel like they're friends. But yeah. uh, at least, you know, she invites him in, right? Like, at least that they're is, that technically allies now. <laughs> yeah, she's willing to put up with him uh, now, which is nice. Yeah. 
Yay. Um, I want to call out one other line here, by the way, which is where Sandra says, if you want to wreak havoc, havoc, do it after dark. Alistair, I believe you're late. I am, Alistair said. And Blake thinks, wasn't he 18? Kind of implying that there's a curfew that he suspects Alistair should be old enough to for it to not apply to, but, you know, he's, he's for some reason, still applying it. Um, so just a fun thought is that Blake's thinking, wasn't he 18? It makes me think that the Bahames do play with magic and Alistair is clearly the kind of guy who would fuck around and make gambles with like time magic power. I, I kind of am curious whether Alistair is actually much younger and just accidentally aged himself, which I think would be a really <laughs> funny thing for, to have happened. It would be very in character. Um, so we'll see. That would be a funny twist. That would be expensive as hell, though, I imagine. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's an expensive mistake. Yes. Uh, I feel like the bookkeepers would have been aware of it. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I thought, I thought it was more because I thought he had to go to school. Like, I thought it was still the middle of the day and he was late to class. Oh, yeah. And Maybe I my time's Blake all is, fucked up. I, I kind I of think have Blake lost is just confused that 18-year-olds go to school, but, like, that's... That's not know, that age, abnormal, is you it? Know, no, that's like, that's year 12, right? Maybe yeah. Canada's different. I don't know. Maybe they finished school really early there. My theory so. still stands. Maybe Alistair's actually in like seventh or eighth grade and just played <laughs> with time magic. Um, and that's sure. the note that we're going to leave this episode on. <laughs> um, that's 11.4. It's quite a fun chapter. I always love these practitioner fights. Like they always, they always go in such interesting, like logical puzzle directions. Um, and this is no different. It's a great one. Yeah. Um, and so before we go today, we're going to do another little comment deep dive mm. uh, and see what people were thinking five years ago when they read this chapter two. Uh, do you want to bring out your comment first, Elliot? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know, as per usual, I've sort of brought one that's, that's more of a comment thread. Classic um, Elliot move. Started by uh, Woolly Headed Lamb, which is a crazy name. I love it. Aren't all uh, lambs woolly headed? Maybe not. I don't know. Don't know that much yeah, about farming uh, lamb. <laughs> me either um but they're talking about uh the 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 tarot cards as as an implement Uh, and you know we've already sort of touched on this a little bit um basically talking about whether or not they're a good choice and and there are a bunch of interesting little points brought up sort of in this chain but i really wanted to focus on a great worm gold who sort of talked more about the the tarot cards themselves rather than just you know like obviously we talked about them before but you know, as indicated by our lack of knowledge and how many cards there are, we know more about <laughs> playing cards than uh, tarot cards. And and so Great Worm Gold points out that uh, the the tarot cards sort of have this passivity to them um, in that it, it's somebody who is just sort of looking at the future and not making it. Yeah. Um, which, which is interesting because it kind of contradicts a bit with Alistair's whole stick, uh, shtick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they also, they also pointed out that it implies like a, a sense of randomness um which which i thought was interesting is it randomness or is it or is it you know fate right like is it the most unrandom i don't know i guess it's kind of both yeah i mean the image of drawing cards sort of lines up with randomness and and like i think that fits into the whole uh you know unpredictable gambler type angle um but yeah they're, they're just sort of a lot of interesting sort of ideas talking about like what it's funny with like rare implements like this there's sort of disagreement about the you know socio-cultural and declarative um nature of these various implements that sort of leads to fun discussions yeah yeah definitely definitely and i i I actually wish that we had more time to dive into all the different implements that we see because i think it's such a fun way to (laughs) analyze a character um 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the comment I pulled out was a comment by Nega Darkwing, and they were talking more about this comparison to Tattletale that we kind of touched on. Um, mm. And and I want to read out their the the bot- bottom third of their comment here because I think it's really interesting. Um, they say. Finally, there's been some comparing him to Tattletale. I can see this, but he doesn't seem to have learned a lesson Lisa learned most painfully. The limits of his ability. Lisa learned the hard way the drawbacks of her power and the painful way of what what can happen with it when she's reckless with it. I think that's a really interesting comparison because Alistair is, you know, he he is someone who who is such a risk taker. um, But he doesn't, as far as we know, have an origin story that is defined by taking a risk and having it backfire in the worst possible way um hmm. I'm, I'm really interested i mean maybe he does but not that we've seen and i'm really interested to see whether that exists or whether that is something that might happen over the course of this story perhaps yes i get the impression his current confidence probably comes from an easy life and i think that would yeah. fit that that makes more sense to me in terms of the behames and everything we know yeah, about of him course. so far so uh yes i think he's currently in the pride before the fall section of uh <laughs> The loop that, you know, uh, Tattletail sort of, you know, is doing somersaults through. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess uh, I guess we'll see. We will continue to see the fall of Alistair. Fun. That'll be fun for, for everybody. <laughs> um, yeah. But unfortunately, that's the end of our show for today. Uh, thanks for joining us. If you want to do some declarative analytical or sociocultural, uh, no, sorry, not analytical, declarative authoritative or sociocultural analysis of Alastair's tarot cards, the best place to do that is in the discussion threads. They'll be uh, linked in the episode description down below. Yeah, but if you want to broaden your podcasting horizons beyond Pact, mm. uh, don't broaden them too far. Just go to doofmedia.com and that's <laughs> Not broad that far. enough. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Only broaden them and, to include other Doof Media shows. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and you know, doofmedia.com is the website where you'll find the details on all the other Doof podcasts. Mm. Uh, uh, at the same time as this episode is releasing, there's another Doofcast episode, which is mm-hmm. uh, on the last Airbender movie. So I will be immediately jumping from... Uh, you know, this to listening to that yeah. because I cannot wait. I'm so excited. We actually both individually rewatched the last Airbender movie in preparation for this damn podcast. And <laughs> it's so terrible, guys. <laughs> I can't wait to see how Scott tries to justify it. Um, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Fun, fun, fun. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited. It's a terrible movie. And hopefully yep. you won't wait. Don't watch it if you haven't, unless... Like, you're wanting to watch a bad movie. I found uh, it, it so fun to watch. Um, I, I did a <laughs> I did a little live, you know, live read of it where I was posting my thoughts in the Doof Media Discord, which we'll come back to in a second. Um, and it was really fun. <laughs> um, actually, so if you want to check out that live read that I did, you need access to the Discord. And the only way to get access to the Discord is to go to patreon.com slash doofmedia and support this great show uh, and all the other great shows on the Doof Media Network donate some amount of money per month it's up to you how much and you'll get access to a bunch of cool perks including the discord including the uh doof and chill streams depending on the level you pledge at of course um head on over to patreon.com slash doof media and you can see all the great perks that are available there yeah and have you heard of pact uh if you haven't welcome uh you should probably <laughs> yep. go good back episode a to jump bit. in on 11.4 <laughs> <laughs> Either way, uh, you know, you should head on over to patreon.com slash Wabo and give Wabo some money for not just Pact, but all the other stories he's wrote and is still writing and mm-hmm. will hopefully write in the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. 
uh, definitely do it. It's a great way to not feel as guilty when you when you open up a new chapter and you're like, man, I should really give some money for this thing that I read, what, like two or three times a week. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's great. I feel so complete now. There's, there's nothing eating away at my soul every day. Um, <laughs> anyway, on that note... <laughs> Uh, we'll be back on Monday, the 16th of September for Malfeasance 11.5. We'll see you then. Ciao.